Hey guys, what the friggin' next up? Is that English? That's for you to decide. So, today I'm going to be reading the other half of the most popular unsolved cases in each state. Was I right? Yes, I think that was right. Okay, today I'm also not going to be crocheting anything because I'm just going to be reading straight from the book. Um, so yeah, quick intro today. I know you guys like that. Nope, just kidding, I don't know anything. Um, yeah, grab a snack, grab a drink. Let's get right back into this. Because it is 11.30 at night. And the podcast is going to be up in less than nine hours. <laughs> okay. So, we left off on Missouri with the Little Jane Doe case. And we're going to jump right into Montana with the murder of Nails and Nels? Nels and Annie Anderson. Um, once again, I'm gonna mispronounce a lot of words. It's just a ritual at this point. So, on December 7th, 1924, Nels and Annie Anderson were bludgeoned to death by their own axe. You probably just heard Matthew laugh. He's playing Madden. I can't stop it, okay? Anyways, Anderson... No. I'm already messing up. <laughs> yes, they were bludgeoned to death by their own axe. Thankfully, though, their four children survived, but there were no obvious signs of who could have done this. Um, there was a, there was no sign of a struggle, and there wasn't a robbery, because the couple still had the money in their pockets when they were found. So they had money in their pockets. It was their money. If a robber were to come in and rob them, you'd think they'd check their pockets. So they were like, no, this, this is not a robbery. Um, and to this day, they have no, no more information than just that. So next... <laughs> Like I said, it feels so weird just being like, yeah, they died. Okay, and next, but next, we have Nebraska with the murder of Stephen Hotajaw. Yeah, that was probably disrespectful. Um, Stephen was a math professor at Chadron, Chadron University in Nebraska. And in 2006, when he, he was found tied to a tree and burned to death, Although Stephen had attempted suicide before, many believed due to the way that he was tied to the tree that he could not have done this himself. There was no apparent evidence at the crime scene that suggested anybody else was there, and to this day, there are no leads in the case. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, next, we have Nevada with Tupac. So, on September 7th, 1996, at 25 years old, the rapper Tupac was killed in a drive-by shooting. Tupac was sitting at a red light in Las Vegas when he was shot, and the police suspect that the killing was gang-related. Many people have formulated conspiracies surrounding his death, including a theory that he is still alive and well, along with Michael Jackson. Or that they're, you know, in the frozen tubes waiting for a certain year and they'll come back to life and be humans again. I don't know. Regardless, there have been no advances as to who killed Tupac, and the case is unsolved. Like every single one on this list. So I don't know why I keep saying that. But now we have New Hampshire. So with New Hampshire, we have the... Oh, my stomach just did a little gurgle. Um, the Connecticut River Killer. So between 1978 and 1987, seven women were stabbed and murdered in New Hampshire. And this is thought to be the work of the Connecticut River Killer. But thankfully, the eighth victim survived, and in 1988, Jane Borowski, which, whenever I say that last name, 
I can't help but think of Brittany Borowski, 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 um, off of TikTok. Really funny person. I, I don't know. The last name just makes me think of her. Um, anyways, Jane Borowski was seven months pregnant when she was stabbed at 27 times in a, in a convenience store parking lot. She managed to drive to her friend's house and she, along with the baby, ended up surviving the attack. Thank God. Um, but after this, the killing stopped. The police gathered a drawing of the man along with a partial license plate number, but he was still never found. <sighs> Don't you love police work? I really need to stop just like putting things on my desk and just letting it pile and pile and pile and pile until I get so overwhelmed by it that I ignore it for three days. Um, because I keep doing that. I keep just, I'll put things out in the living room, like my computer or a project or, um, I don't know, just like tools that I have for my crocheting. And then when I'm cleaning the living room super fast, I'll just come in here and throw it on my desk. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with that later. Cause it's, it's crochet work, you know? And then later becomes weeks because there's so much on my desk and I'm just like, ah, you know, life, clean your desk. Your brain will thank you for it. Anyways, next we have the New Jersey case um, and it's the Eastbound Strangler. So in 2006, four women were found dead behind the Golden Key Motel in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Kim Raffo, Molly Ditz, Diltz, Barbara Brador, and Tracy Roberts were all found strangled face down, barefoot, and with their, hand, their heads facing east. The killer was never found. And I don't know why, but I feel like in cases that are in the 2000s, they feel so much scarier because they feel so much closer. Like... The killer could still be alive and might possibly strike again, but in my brain, like, if I see 1999, I'm like, nah, nah, we're good, we're good. But as soon as I see 2000-something, I'm like, oh, that's, that's soon, that's close, that's, that's real close. Um, I don't know why my brain does that, and I don't know why I felt like the need to share that with you, but I did. And so, there you go. Next, we have the West Mesa murders in New Mexico. If you haven't heard of this case, it's insane, and I would be so willing to do a full case on it a full episode on it because oh my god just wait in 2009 a woman was innocently innocently walking her dog when she came across a human bone not knowing it was a human bone at the time she shrugged it off but still alerted police always alert always alert someone if you see a bone unless you're like a bone specialist let someone know you found a bone because you could be like oh that's just a dog jaw but like it could be your neighbor's jaw um probably not because you would notice your neighbor was gone by that point i would hope so be observant um the other day oh my gosh this is just a side story central the other day my roommate came home and she okay so she has a torn acl right now and a whole lot of other things in her knee she went skiing it's fine she's not good at it um anyways so she's had surgery and like is on crutches and stuff and needs help to move around and her boyfriend and her came over here to grab something and they left her bedroom door open and they had left as I was coming home from work. So I got home and the door, her bedroom door was open. And I'm so observant when it comes to things like that, that I texted in the group chat with me, Matthew and her. And I was like, was someone here or do I need to grab a knife and prepare to defend myself right now? And she was like, we were just there and that's so crazy that you knew. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm so observant because I knew that when I left, 
for work, that door was closed and nobody else was going to be home except she did end up coming home. Wow. Did that make sense at all? Basically, I knew the door was closed when I left for work. I came home from work. It was open. She had been there in the time that I was gone and opened the door and forgot to shut it. And my brain being super observant, I noticed it was open. And so I asked if they opened it or if there was a killer in my house. Wow. That was a lot. Um, where were we? <laughs> um, yeah, not knowing it was a human bone, she shrugged it off at the time, but still alerted police. Sorry, just at my desk. It probably made a bump noise. Um, but little did she know she was about to be the reason that one of the biggest crime scenes in U.S. history would be discovered. What a great girl. Woman. Yeah. She had found a 100-acre patch of land that held 11 women's bodies. The 11 women buried there were all connected to drugs and sex work, so it ended up taking the police a year to identify all the women because sex workers aren't important in the law's eyes. Um, even now. Back then, but even now. Um... And although they came up with a handful of suspects, no one was ever arrested, but they do have like a pretty um, prime suspect, I guess you could say. There's this guy that they've been looking into for years and they're pretty sure he did it and he's linked to a couple other cases. And there's like tire tracks leading him to the place that match his car. I don't know. It's a whole lot. I should do a whole case on it. It's too much to explain here. But next we have New York with Abe Levelwall. I don't know how to say his name, dude. Lovewall? But yes, Abe. Him. The owner of a popular deli named Second Avenue Deli was murdered in 1996, and it shook the entirety of New York. Abe was known as the mayor of Second Ave due to him feeding and treating the homeless people and high, so high society members at the, the same at his restaurant. Wow, that was a great sentence. He was known for treating the homeless people and the super wealthy people the exact same when they came to eat at his restaurant. I could have just said that. He was on his way to the bank when he was robbed and shot, and in total, $10,000 was stolen from him, and a few days later, the gun was found in Central Park. A composite sketch was made, but even now, it remains unsolved. Um, every time I say that, I feel like Ryan and Shane, like when I say, and the case remains unsolved. And I'm not sure if I love that or if I hate it, but it's funny regardless. Um, next, we have Evelyn Williams from North Carolina. So Evelyn was found in the utility room of her home with her throat slashed. Something so... Ugh, something about the word, like, slashed just feels so... I just burped, sorry. It just feels so... Not vulgar. Like, gory? Like, I don't know. I just, ugh, throat stuff freaks me out. Anyways, she was found with her throat cut. She was 72 and well-known in her community. Oh my god, did you just hear the alien in my stomach trying to speak? Um, she was well-known in her community, and in eight, 1989, when this crime occurred, detectives were astonished when they swept the scene and found no evidence of a killer. Deputy Jerry Lynn Cooper claimed that this wasn't a random attack because you don't have such a violent outcome from someone just wanting your pocketbook. Um, oh, I, I skipped an entire sentence, I think. They ruled out robbery in this case because only her pocketbook was stolen. And that's why the, the deputy said, you don't have such a violent attack just from someone wanting your pocketbook. That, that was a very important sentence to leave out. <laughs> 
Next, we have the Niagara murders from North Dakota. So this is almost like a reverse story because um, it's somewhat solved. So just listen. Eugene Butler. He was a dude. He murdered six people and then was committed to an insane asylum in 1906. But um, sometime in that, he was like, yo, I murdered six people. Um, that's your job to find out who they are and where they are. And they could never find who the victims were or where the bodies were. So over 100 years later, they find, they like found where the bodies were buried. And they think, they think that they found the bodies from him, like his bodies. Um, or they just found someone else's burial site and they have a whole other case to deal with. But they think that they found the bodies that belong to his killings. Um, but he's dead because it was 100 years later. So they can't ask him. Isn't that lovely? Next, we have the Cleveland Torso Killer from Ohio. There's so many torso killers. Get a new name or just stop killing people. That works too. Seven men and five women fell victim to the Cleveland Torso Killer from 1935 to 1938. The killer was coined as such when their victims were found beheaded and often dismembered. Some of the victims couldn't even be identified due to the state of their remains. The murders were never solved and there have been many torso killers after this one. I'm never reading a story like that again. I'm so sorry. Next, we have the Lawton Serial Killer from Oklahoma. All my Oklahoma peeps, say whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. Unless you're racist, don't say whoop whoop. Um, I'm from Oklahoma. That's why I said that. I'm not from Oklahoma. My family's from Oklahoma. And I've spent a lot, a majority of my life there. <laughs> why do I tell you guys my life story? It's because it's late and I'm tired and I've gotten no sleep this past week. And I'm not going to get any sleep next week either because my best friend's getting married. Oh yeah, um, I'm going to try to get an episode out next week. Count on an episode, but if there isn't one, I didn't die. My best friend's just getting married and I'm a bridesmaid and I'm scrambling to get last minute things done that I should have done a while ago. We know me. We knew this was going to happen. It's fine. It's expected. Um, doesn't mean it's okay. But it's expected. Anyways, the Lawton serial killer. Police knew something was fishy. Mm, that's not what I had typed. <laughs> Police knew something fishy was happening in Lawton when women's bodies were washing up in creeks and stream beds. All of the women were linked back to sex work and cocaine was found in all of their systems. This suggested that the killer was part of an underground drug trade. Or, get this, they could have just offered the woman coke and then killed them. Hello? <laughs> um, also, that was from 1999 to 2003. So yeah, the killer's probably still alive and he was never found, obviously, because this is an unsolved case episode. But I digress. In Oregon, we have the Klein Falls State Park attack. This one chills me to my core. Um, in 1977... Terry Jentz and her college roommate, Shayna Weiss, um, W-E-I-S-S, -S, if that's your last name, I'm so sorry. I would think it's Weiss. I had a college professor with that spelling, and we said, Miss W. <laughs> um, anyways, they spent the night at Kleinfall State Park while on a cross-country bike trip. They went to bed in their tent, only to be woken up by a truck driving over it. Yeah. Before the shock of being woken up by being run over had worn off, they started being attacked by an axe. 
Terry was left with multiple broken bones, and Shayna was blinded by the attack. Fifteen years later, with no advances, Terry returned to the scene to try and solve it herself, but was unsuccessful. She was like, y'all, if you can't do this, let me try myself. Um, and still to this day, the attacker has never been found, but Terry wrote a book about her experience called A Strange Piece of Paradise. So good for her. I hope she's making millions off of it. Um, did I tell you guys that Matthew bought me the Killer of the Flower Moon book? Um, I can't remember if I did or not. That's the movie that I'm super excited about. It's coming out and it's about the origin of the FBI. Um, but yeah, I have yet to read it, so don't tell him that. I read the first, like, 16 pages and it was really good, and then I put it down and haven't picked it back up yet, but that's okay. It'll happen eventually. Um, and Lauren, my friend that makes the earrings at Love Lauren Co. on Instagram, she just went to Atchison, Kansas, super haunted place, um, and went to this little library where they have, like, ghosts like actual ghost activity um and she bought me a book so it's a ghost book so i might be reading a little a little snippet out of that for you guys sometime anyways now we are at pennsylvania with the boy in the box so on february 26 1957 the body of a young child was found beaten and stuffed into a box in Sus susquehanna road in philadelphia with testing, it was concluded that the boy was between four and six years old, and 64 years later, both the boy and his killer have never been found or identified. There is now a historical landmark placed in tribute to the little boy where he was found, and that was placed in 2017. Um, and America's Most Wanted aired an episode talking about this case, and while tips keep coming in, it's leading nowhere. I could also do a full case on this or a full episode, I keep saying full case, full episode on this case, it's one of my not most favorite. That sounds so bad. It's a case that I find super interesting. Um, there's a lot of details in it that, you know, are too in-depth to go into here. But, like, the state that his body was in, and just, I don't know, it's a lot. I might, I just, I just need to make a Google Doc document. Um, of case recommendations and like give you guys the link so that you guys can go in and be like hey you should do this case i think i'm gonna do that i just burped again i'm so sorry i had taco shop for dinner if you're from Hayes, you know exactly what i'm going through right now and if you're not from Hayes, just pray for me anyways um next we have the road hello let's take a breath oh my god there's so much indigestion stuff happening in my body right now <sighs> We're okay. Next, we have Joanne Lee Reynolds from Rhode Island. Joanne Lee Reynolds was 24 when she was found stabbed to death in her apartment in 1980. There were no signs of forced entry, and this led the investigators to believe that she either knew her attacker or trusted them enough to let them in. 30 years later, the police ended up... No. 30 years later, the police decided to reopen her case and took to the internet for help. The North Kingstown, Kingstown Police Department created a Facebook facebook page in 2012 to in an attempt to extend the search across the country and gather more information on the case so far it remains unsolved but the tips keep rolling in so we can only hope that eventually her murder will be solved next we have jessica guterres guterres from south carolina um jessica was kidnapped from her bed when she was four on june 6th of 1986 she lived in the Red Bank area of Lexing Lexington County, South Carolina. 
and the next morning when her mother noticed that she was gone, she began frantically running around the house trying to find her. Jessica's sister, Becky, told the mother that the man with the magic hat and beard took her last night. Just saying, just making it clear real quick. If my kid ever did some, said some whack shit to me like that, I would smack them on accident. Just, just a pure reflex. Smack them right in the head. Um, just kidding. Don't hate your kids. Unless they tell you that a magic-headed man with a beard was in your home and took your kid. Um, one time Matthew was sleep-talking and he sat up in bed and was staring at the corner of our room in our old house. Um, it was super spooky. It was 100% haunted. But, you know, I already went to bed at night in that house fearing the dark and what, what would come of it. Um, but he sat up in bed and he was staring at the corner of our room and pointing. And then he turned and looked me dead in the eye and said, do you see that man over there? Does he scare you? And it took everything in me not to karate chop him in the throat so I just slowly like put my hand on his chest and pushed him back down to where he was laying and I just kept whispers screaming stop 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 because I was like I can't deal with this right now it's two in the morning I can't deal with this um he had no recollection next morning anyways back back to Jessica um it's been over 30 years and there has been no advances in this case Jessica is still missing and no one is a suspect that's like the worst part like when there's just absolutely no suspect like when you kind of have a sus suspect usually you're right usually but when you have no one you have no idea what's going on in that case just my opinion sorry that was a gross sound um next we have the mathis family mystery from south dakota so, on September 8th of 1981, LaDonna Mathis and her two sons, who were four and two at the time, were shot in Mount Vernon in South Dakota. Their father, John, was shot in the arm and survived the attack. He said that a masked man carried out the attack, but investigators thought that his story was a bit off and declared him the prime suspect. He was acquitted just a year later when the jury found him not guilty. Sorry, I burped again. I don't know what's happening, okay? I ate a lot of jalapenos and guacamole. I just... I don't get to decide what my stomach does, okay? I wish I could. Anyways, this case reminds me of the... Oh my god. I hope that. I hope that microphone picked that up. This is what I deal with every day. Out, you know, in business settings, in professional settings, when I have to look my future employer in the eye and tell them that I am a responsible, serious adult, and then my stomach does that? Come on. They're gonna look at me and be like, oh, you can't drink milk? No, I can't. <sighs> Anyways, this case reminds me of the Diana Downs case, which is basically a mom who shows up to a hospital with three kids, one dead, two clinging to life, all shot. She was shot in the arm herself. Only one kid ended up surviving after being in like a coma or something. Um, she had a stroke too, I think, but she was shot in the head. I think they were all shot in the head. I'm not for sure. Um, but the only kid that ended up surviving then said that her mom shot them and then shot herself in the arm. Um, Diana said that a masked man did it and all this stuff just roll out, rolls out in court and it's just really, it's a lot. It's super attention grabbing. Um, it's really interesting and I should add it to that list of cases because it's too much to tell right here. But yeah, the Mathis family mystery, it's obviously still a mystery. It's in the name. 
Next we have the Tennessee. My stomach piped in again. This the Tennessee redhead murders. If you don't know me, you don't know what I look like. You just listen to my voice. Um, I'm a redhead. So yeah, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, bodies of redheaded women were found in Memphis, Jellicoe, Ashland City, and Greenville, Tennessee, as well as Kentucky, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Pennsylvania. Every single body was found along a major highway, which suggested that they may have been hitchhiking or a sex worker. Since they were all redheads, they were dubbed the Redhead Murders. I don't know how popular hitchhiking was back then. Like, I know it was popular and normal, but I just feel like that's so many redheads for them to just be selecting redhead hitchhikers. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like since redheads aren't that common, I mean, they're common, but like, they couldn't have possibly found that many redheads hitchhiking unless just everybody and their grandma's dog were hitchhiking. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. Like the sex worker story, that's a little bit more understandable, but I think that they were just disposing of bodies along major highways and finding the victims somewhere else. I don't think that they were just finding redhead hitchhikers. Case closed. I should be a judge. Guilty. Um, next, we have the Lover's Lane in Texas. So on August 22nd, 1990, Cheryl Henry, who was 22 at the time, and Andy Atkinson, who was 21 at the time, drove to the secluded part of the woods in Houston, Texas. Little did they know, they were never going to come back out. Atkinson was found tied to a tree with his throat cut, and Henry was found naked, buried, under a stack of boards. Sadly, she had also been sexually assaulted and her throat had also been cut. Police are currently using new DNA technology to solve this case and confirm a potential suspect, but there have been no charges or convictions made. So they already have a potential suspect. They're just waiting for some DNA stuff to get figured out before they're like, yeah, that's the guy. Next, we have the February 9 killer from Utah. Nice. On February 9th, 2006, a 29-year-old woman named Sonia Meha was six months pregnant. She was sexually assaulted and strangled to death in Taylorsville, Utah, and on February 9th, 2008, 57-year-old Demania Castillo was found strangled to death in West Valley City, Utah. The fact that both of these murders happened on the 9th of February and had similar manners indicated that they were done by the same person, plus the same DNA was found at the crime scene. Even with the DNA, though, no killer has ever been found, which is what happened in the Golden State Killer's case. So we can only hope that one day they're like, I think that's the man. Let's, let's test this bit. Because they already got the DNA at the scene. They just got to get the match, you know. That's why everybody right now go buy a DNA kit to find out who your ancestors are. Because, um, yes, they do use your DNA and they do put it in a, into a system. But it also helps solve crimes. Um, the government's not looking for you. They're not going to hunt you down for having a gram of pot um they don't want you they don't care about you you're not important to them uh they're not tracking you and if they are you better get rid of your phone you better get rid of your laptop you better get rid of your tv you better get rid of your smartwatch. you better get rid of your peloton bike the government doesn't want you okay you're not that important to me you are but not to them um, yeah. Next we have the Bennington Triangle in Vermont. My friend is from Bennington, 
um, I don't know if she listens to my podcast. It might be a bit too morbid for her, but I'll have to ask her if she knows about this case. She'll probably be like, please stop talking to me about this. It makes me uncomfortable. And I'll be like, yes, but I need you to listen because that's what I do with all my friends. I just burped again. I am so sorry. I don't know what's happening. Okay. At least I'm not doing it in your ear. Um, yeah. 10 people mysteriously disappeared in a patch of woods around Glastonbury Mountain in southwestern Vermont between 1920 and 1950. Some people have also reported seeing UFOs and Bigfoot in these same woods. Um, I believe Bigfoot's out there, okay? Maybe not the original one, but there's a family of them, okay? Um, the area was named the Bennington Triangle when the author named Joseph Citro referred to it by that in 1992. My man Joe... He said, yep, Bermuda Triangle, mm-mm, Bennington Triangle, I just slurred the word triangle. Am I good? Next, we have the Colonial Parkway murders in Virginia. So, a series of murders along Virginia's historic Colonial Parkway claimed the lives of eight people from 1986 to 1989. All of eight people were either in their teens or 20s. And when the FBI got involved, they asked Russia to view satellite footage of the area. I guess Russia was probably, you know, monitoring the area. I'm not sure what Russia's doing. Um, but it obviously didn't provide much help because no one has ever been arrested. So, next. We have the tube sock killings from Washington. It sounds funny. It's not. Um, in 1985, two couples disappeared into the wooded areas of Pierce and Lewis counties. Stephen Harkins and Ruth Harper were, no, Ruth Cooper, were found dead. Then Mike Raymer and Diana Robertson were also found dead. Um, in both of these cases, the, women's had, the women had a tube sock tied around their neck. And in 2011, part of Mark, oh my gosh, Mike Reimers, Reimers, not sure, his skull was found nearby. A part of his skull. So they were like, yeah, he was here too. Um... I was gonna say something oh yeah quit going into the woods have you noticed how many cases they're like yeah these people went into the woods and they never came out like quit going in the woods quit quit going out at night quit going out in the woods next we have the Sauter family from west virginia this one's spooky so on christmas eve in 1945 a fire broke out at the Sauter family home Four of the nine children escaped, but when firefighters came and put out the fire, there was no trace of their five other children, who were thought to have been in the fire. F.J. Morris was the fire chief at the time, and he had concluded that the fire was just hot enough to cremate the bodies. But do you know how hot that has to be? That has to be exponentially hot. Like, so hot. But, excuse me, I burped again. It's, uh, I have no words for myself. Um, death certificates were issued since it was concluded that they were, you know, dead, cremated. Um, and many witnesses claimed to have seen the children after the fire. And 20 years later, the mother, Jeannie, uh, or Jenny, she received a photo in the mail that was labeled Lewis Sauter. And Lewis was their son, who was nine at the time of the fire. And was susp suspected to have died in the fire. That's creepy. That's, that's a little spooky. Next, we have Capital City Killings um, in Wisconsin. Isn't that where they make cheese? If it isn't, I'm going to sound real dumb. 
Um, seven women affiliated with the University of Wisconsin-Madison were killed between 1968 and 1982. They were all killed by strangling and stabbing, and all of the women had long hair. They also believed, no, they also lived in Madison, which made officials believe that the murders were the work of a serial killer or a group of serial killers. And these murders became known as the Capital City Killings, and the murderer was never found. I don't even have to say that at this point, but yes. And we've reached the last case, my friends. So this is Gabby's Bones from Wyoming. In 1986, a man only known by the name of Gabby dropped off a trunk in his friend Newell, Newell, Neville, N-E-W-E-L-L. I'm going to say Neville. Um, Neville Sessions shed in Thermopolis, Wyoming. Years later, he decided to open it and found that it had contained human bones. I would be so mad at my friend if they dropped off a chest of human bones and did not tell me. Um, when looked into, the bones dated back to the early 1900s, and the lock on the trunk dated back to 1930. So, when DNA testing was done on the bones, they were found out to be the remains of Joseph Mulvaney, and Joseph's daughter was contacted, and she explained that he had been killed by his brother, but the Hot Springs County Sheriff's Office never confirmed that story, so she might be lying. Um, the reason behind why Gabby had his bones, that was never found out. He just was a weirdo that had bones in a trunk and he dropped it off at the friend's house and didn't think it was important enough to tell his friend that they were bones rude friends get better friends um but that's it folks that's that's the other half of the most popular unsolved cases in each state i hope you enjoyed um i'll see you next week count on me being there next week hold me to it i love you and lock your doors and don't talk to creepy men Good night for me.